0: You grab your Bibles, open up to, um, excuse me, Exodus. Exodus chapter two, we're in the series called Unsung Heroes, and the idea of this series is that we wanted to, to talk about some of the characters in the Bible that you may not have ever even heard of. Some of you have, of course. Uh, but some of you haven't. I, I actually, the person that we're gonna talk about today, I've, I've surveyed a few people, and I was surprised how few of us really knew the story of this gentleman. Last week, we talked about a couple of midwives, and many people said to me, I didn't even know there were midwives in the Bible. But, so we're trying to find these people that are not necessarily the known, not Abraham or Moses or Joshua even, but people who uh, are much more common. It's not King David, you know? And, and so the hope is, as we talk about them, you can relate to them because they're more of the average folks in scripture not average in what they did but in their calling sometimes it's hard to relate to Moses there's not really any people that are going to be called to go to Egypt and lead all the people out of slavery or King David it's just, you know these people don't have songs written about them and, and books written about them they're just they're really unsung some of them actually as we talk about we don't even know what their names are that's how unsung they are so as we move through this series some people we're just going to describe who they were what they did but we don't even know uh, what their name is so this week uh, we're going to talk about uh, a gentleman by the name of Riul or Raul. So, how many of you know who Raul is? It's okay if you do. It's okay if you don't. He also goes by uh, the name, I'm going to put that, is that up there. Well, actually, you guys will know uh, <laughs> Jethro. Yeah, so I've been asking people all week, who's Jethro? And this is who they've said almost to a person Jethro. Is he from the Beverly Hillbillies? Yes, we are not teaching on Jethro Bodine, but a different Jethro that comes out of chapter two. And this is actually Moses' father-in-law is who we're gonna talk about. So uh, we're in Exodus chapter two. We're also gonna look at chapter 18 because they're kind of bookends of the story of Jethro. But before we read it, I just wanna kind of pick you up as to where we are in the story just so that you're uh, putting it all in context. If you remember, uh, we had the midwife story from last week. and. Uh, at the very end of that story, uh, Pharaoh says, throw every male boy into the Nile. And so uh, that's what's going on in Egypt. But Moses is put in a basket and he's floated down and he becomes kind of adopted, if you will, or raised in a uh, Egyptian home. He becomes part of the royal family and he grows up. And as he grows up, he begins to see the injustice of the Hebrew people, and he begins to get angry, and in one moment in his anger, he rises up and he kills a slave master, a taskmaster, someone who's beating a Hebrew person, and he buries him in the sand, but people see him do it, and, and so he's, he's found out, if you will, and, and Pharaoh then is going to arrest him or have him killed or whatever the case may be, but, but Moses goes on the run, right? That's the story. So Moses runs to a place called Midian. I uh, just wanted to put that in context for you. So if you look at this map that's gonna pop up here any second now. There you go. Uh, This is Egypt, right? And Midian is way down here. This is what we know as Jerusalem, Israel, right? So that kind of gives you just some context. This is about 285 miles to this place called Midian. The most important thing we need to know about Midian probably is Moses would have known because he was in the royal family and would have known the jurisdiction of the Egyptians, but he went to the closest place where he could, where it wasn't part of the Egyptian jurisdiction, this really is the, the power of the day, the military power of the day, but Midian had remained independent, so he was trying to get away from the law, so he goes to the first place he could where he's, he's not a part of uh, the, the, the Egyptian system, if you will. So that's where he is, he, he ends up in Midian, he's homeless, he's jobless, he's familyless. he's a fugitive on the run, he's basically all alone, and that's where we pick up the story. So Exodus 2, verses 15 through 21. It says, when Pharaoh heard of it, that is when Moses killed that person, so when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and, and fill their troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Reuel, He said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? Apparently, this problem at the well was pretty common. And they said, an Egyptian delivered us. Now, they thought he was Egyptian, but uh, he probably still looked very Egyptian at the time, but he's not Egyptian. It says, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, and where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him and that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter The four, meaning that they got married. Now, before we unpack chapter 18, you can turn to chapter 18 real quick. Uh, I just wanna fill in a little bit of the story. So Acts 7 tells us that Moses was in Midian for 40 years. Moses spent 40 years in Midian, but when you read chapter 2, it feels like that all takes place in an afternoon, right? He gets to the well, he sits down at the well, the bad guys come, Moses kicks him out, he goes home to eat dinner, and he gets married that night. Right? It sort of feels that way, but but it's not. I just want you to have the context that that could have taken 15 years. That could have taken 20 years. I don't know how long Moses was in Jethro's house before he was given his daughter's hand in marriage. We don't really know all the details of that, but I just want you to hold on to the fact that it's not quite as is clean and neat and instant as it it may seem, but it also tells us that something was going on for those 40 years as Moses hung out in Jethro's home, right? But one thing we know is 40 years takes place and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he has this encounter with a burning bush. God speaks to him and he says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and set my people free, right? And so Moses Heeds the words of the Lord, and he becomes the one to go back. And so he goes back to Egypt, and then we have the 10 plagues. You remember this story? And the final plague is the death of the firstborn. And and, uh, the idea there was, this is a Passover story, if they would kill a lamb and spread blood over the doors, that the angel of death would pass over them. Probably the most vivid foreshadowing of the gospel, that it's the blood of Jesus that allows the angel of death to pass over all of us, right? But Pharaoh's own son dies, Pharaoh uh, releases the people, not just the people, but basically gives them all kinds of wealth, gives them their gold, they're in so much, they're so distraught, they just basically send them out uh, with, with all of their gold and silver, and they, they head out into the wilderness. Some estimates are two and a half million people are part of this uh, exodus that Moses is leading. But when Moses goes back to Egypt, he leaves behind Zephora and his two sons, okay? So when we pick up this story, Moses is now left, he's, he's already crossed the Red Sea, and he is meeting up with his father-in-law, his wife, and his two sons. So I'm just putting that out so you're wondering, like, well, how did we skip so much there? So Moses, uh, Je- Exodus 18, verse five, says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came to his son and his wife, oh, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped on the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. I think it's interesting that it's her two sons and not his two sons, but uh, verse 7, Moses went out and met his father-in-law, and he bowed down and he kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians and for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10, Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifice to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel and to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Verse 13, the next day Moses sat down to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Then Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people and he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone And all of the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me and inquire of God, and when they have disputes, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God." Jump down to verse 24, because this is important. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for uh, the story of Jethro. Thank you for uh, the example he is to us, and I just pray that in these next few minutes that you would open our hearts and minds uh, to what you want us to hear, that we would leave this place uh, with a revelation from you and that we would be different because we've sat in the presence of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is it that makes Jethro a hero? What is it about Jethro that we can learn from? What is it that we can emulate in our own lives? His, I think his heroism is not in the advice that was given in chapter 18. There's been uh, leadership books written on this, there's been leadership articles written on this, there's lots written about what Jethro's advice was to Moses, how a, a leader needs to make sure they share the, the load of leadership or to wear them out. So it's important advice, it's, a, it's an important part of scripture, something that we can learn from, but that isn't really what made Jethro a hero. To understand his heroism, we gotta go all the way back and we have to look at the story way back in chapter two. But before we do that, I just want to encourage you to engage your imagination. This is a rich story, but it requires that we sort of close our eyes sometimes and picture exactly what's going on in the story. Moses, the guy who grew up living really in luxury, having everything he wanted, arrives in Midian, homeless, familyless, penniless. He's a refugee. And what I'm gonna ask you to do for at least the next few minutes is to suspend whatever political bias you have when I say the word refugee, because some of you have already gone there. It's such a hot topic right now and there's so much media bias and so much fear that's being projected on the whole thing with, with refugees that I just want you to set that aside and what I want you to do is just listen. Listen to what God has to say about refugees. Listen to what God has to say to us, his people about refugees. Be careful not to let the media tell you how to think. They are purveyors of fear and they are doing their best to separate people. So, And I'm not picking on left or right or, or conservative or liberal, I'm just telling you they are not interested in what God wants to say. They're not projecting God's view. And I think when it comes to the current refugee crisis, God does have something to say to us. I don't know if you know it, but there are uh, young children in Michigan who have no parents, who are refugees, who have come out of the Syrian crisis and other crises. They're here, and they are they, they have no family. They're part of the foster system. Like what if the church, the church, were to step up and take in those kids and help those kids to navigate? How much difference would it make? What I'm saying is I think the solution to the refugee crisis isn't political, it's found within the church and we need to step into the crisis. So I just want to read, this is Leviticus, and it's just if you went back and just did a word search, you could do that on Google, or you could do that if your Bible app has that, and you just searched uh, stranger or visitor, you would be shocked at how many passages God talks about how we are to treat the stranger among us. But this is just one example, Leviticus 19. says, when a stranger sojourns or travels with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who travels with you as a native among you. You shall... Love him as yourself. It's a great commandment. You you yourselves were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. All I want you to hear is that God cares about our response, right? God cares about how we respond to the refugees. And why is this relevant? Because Jethro's heroism is rooted in the fact that he does what's right to the refugee among him. Moses is a refugee. The very definition of a refugee is someone who is fleeing their country because of famine or political or or persecution. That's exactly what Moses was doing. He was, he was running because he was under some sort of persecution, right? And we have to engage our imagination and think about who Moses was when he arrived at the well in Midian and how much of a risk it was for Jethro to take him into his home. He was on the run from the law. He was... Penniless. He was homeless. He had nothing to offer. And in a society where, where people didn't necessarily take people in, remember we've talked a lot about it, it was everything was reciprocal. What can I get if I'm to be good to this person? How can I get something out of them? Even when it comes to marriage, marriages were often arranged for the political benefit. How does this make the family stronger? How does this help us to gain wealth? How does this help us to gain power? Look, Moses had none of those things going for him, but Jethro still brought him in and put him into, into his house. So chapter two says, and Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughters of. I think this is amazing. He gave Moses his daughter. He allowed Moses to marry his daughter. And one of the things I just thought about is, would I be the same way? Uh, when Meg and I pray for our kids and we pray for their future spouse, we seldom pray for fugitives, homeless, penniless, familyless people. Right? Those are not the adjectives we use to describe who we're hoping God. So would I have the forethought to see beyond the immediate and to see what God is up to and, and make that kind of a decision? It just ought to challenge us a little bit. But it's here in Midian where Moses learns what he needs to learn to be the person who leads the people out of Egypt. Right? Those 40 years become this, this, this fertile ground for Moses to be mentored by this guy who we don't even hardly know who he is. And, and this is where Jethro steps into his life and helps Moses to figure out how do you even survive in the wilderness? How do you lead sheep? And as Moses learns to lead sheep, he's learning actually how to lead people. He's learning that there's some application here. How do I take people into the wilderness where they're not gonna starve? Or, or, or if they need water, where are we gonna find water? Moses learns wilderness survival. He learns how to, how to lead. He is mentored by Jethro, even though Moses has no idea, God is preparing him for the calling that he has in his life. God is preparing him for that moment when he comes into the burning bush. And here's the bottom line for today. To be a mentor is to be an unsung hero. To be a mentor is to be an unsung hero. So the question I want you to ask is, who are you coming alongside of so that they can reach their redemptive potential. When I first arrived at Grace about 25 years ago, a little bit less than 25 years ago, um, I remember that there were very, very few people at Grace who were 50 and over, very few. Very few people with gray hair. It 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 was a very young church, 20 to 30s almost completely, and I remember saying to Scott Shaw and other leaders at the time, where are the mentors? How are we going to figure this out? Who's, who's ahead of us? Who can help us? There were just, there weren't very many. There were a few, and for them, a lot of them are still here, and I'm grateful for you uh, for sticking with us, but it, there just weren't very many, and so I, I want to do something that's a little bit uh, different, and I just, I, I, it was cool to see it last night, but if you are 45 or older, I just want you to stand up for a minute. 45 or older, just stand up. I'm not going to make you sign anything, <laughs> and I want everybody else to look around the room, 45 or older, great. All right, you can sit down. So obviously if you're 44 or younger, I'd like you to stand up. 44 or younger. Yeah, that's cool. All right, you can sit down. Here's my point, we are no longer that church. And those of us who have traveled the journey longer need to start giving our lives away to those who are newer in the faith. And I want to make sure I say this being a mentor isn't always about age, it's really more about experience. If God has taken you through something, then He is asking you to give that away. It's the Second Timothy principle. It says, when God entrusts something to you, that you are commanded to entrust what He gave you to somebody else who will then entrust it to someone else. It's the multiplication factor of what it means to be the church. We are commanded to be mentors. And here's what I've learned. Sometimes I think when we hear the word mentor, we think that it means that we are to be in this lifelong, one-on-one, meet-every-week relationship for the rest of our lives. And sometimes it works out that way. Sometimes God brings people into your life for a lifetime and they're your mentor. But, but I think more often than not, it's seasonal. And it's for a particular uh, area of need or area of growth, so even when you think about the ladies that were on the couch, they have something to share that they have learned whether it 's meg 's journey through a season of anxiety that now she has something that God has entrusted to her that she can entrust to others so that they can then pour into others as well so you you have this beautiful picture of what is God giving you I, I heard this uh, last week, and I just think it 's amazing and a, and a beautiful example of what i 'm talking about so Uh, You know the Crawford family, Jordan Crawford works here, Keith and Rose Crawford uh, were here for a long time, Keith was on staff for a long time, Uh, but they have great kids. They really do have uh, tremendous godly kids, which says a lot about their parenting. And I heard just last week that they spent every week for 18 weeks sitting with Matt and Loretta Mancinelli going through a study called Raising Kids God's Way. 18 weeks in a row, in their home, just the four of them, going through that study and talking about how to raise their kids. They said, this video series had a huge impact on us when we were young parents, and we wanna pass it along. That's the picture I wanna get at. That's what it means to be a mentor, and we all have that. We all have stories. We all have something that God has given us that someone else can benefit from, okay? So, I wanna be clear. You don't have to be old to be a mentor, but chances are, if you're old, You should be a mentor. How how clear was that? All right? All right. So, to be a mentor is to be an unsung hero. And if you go back and you look at chapter 18 of Exodus, when I was talking about this with Meg, she said, how do you know that Jethro really was a mentor to Moses? And I think you can see it. I want to show it to you just crystal clear. You can see their relationship kind of come to the forefront. So, verse 7 of chapter 18, it says, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down, and he kissed him. Now, Moses shows Jethro incredible humility at this time, and I don't want you to miss this because at this point, Moses is a pretty big deal, right? This is, he's long since not the same guy that was sitting at the well 40 years ago. God has used Moses to do some pretty spectacular, some of the greatest stories of the Bible, right? Some of these, that Moses was the guy that God used to do it, like you know, the scriptures say that Moses would sit and talk to God as one man talks to another. That, this is all happening now. So Moses is a big deal. He's, he's got this mega church of about 2.5 million people that are wandering through the desert with him. Right? He's a big deal. Right? And, and so even as I read the story, I thought to myself, man, I don't know that I would have the humility that Moses has. When he meets up with Jethro, I probably would have been like, you can kiss my ring if you want. Right, But he bows before Jethro. He shows incredible humility before this man who has mentored him for 40 years, prepared him to do the very thing that God has called him to do. And he recognized that and he shows him great respect and humility. It's a beautiful picture. Moses humbles himself. He knows Jethro's role in his life. Jump down to verses 7 through 9. Gives you an even more vivid portrait of their relationship, it says. And then they ask each other of their welfare, and they went into the tent. They talked to each other. They had a conversation. How's it going? They had some sort of friendship relationship, or they wouldn't have asked each other, how are you doing? How's your welfare? Verse 8, it says, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord has done uh, to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Then verse nine, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done in Israel. They talked, they shared, and they celebrated with one another. They, they talked about all that God was doing in, in, in his life, and Jethro became this, this cheerleader, if you will, this person who stood beside him and, and helped him just to just celebrate what God was up to. It's a beautiful picture of mutual love, mutual respect. We see his role as a trusted advisor, I just want to kind of warn you as we talk about being a mentor, not to fall into the trap to think that a mentor is the wisdom dispenser. Right? Sometimes we think, well, I'm a mentor. My job is to come. I sit with you for two minutes, and then I'm going to tell you all the things you need to do. And there's so much more to that. And we see that in this text. We see this listening. We see this celebrating. We see this being with. We see Jethro asking good questions and trying to understand what's going on. Verse 17. Oh, sorry, I'm not quite there yet. So we see all that, and then we finally see Moses, or Jethro gets to the point where he gives the advice, that's verse 17. He says, Moses' father-in-law said, what you're doing is not good. The people with you and the people with you are certainly gonna wear yourself out. Verse 19, obey my voice, I'm gonna give you advice, and God will be with you. Now I want you to think about this for a minute too. Moses talks to God face to face, like one man talks to another. That's what the scriptures say. So unlike anybody else, I don't think anyone else has that description of him in scripture, Moses has a dialogue, face to face, as if, just as if we were talking right now. That's Moses' relationship with God. Now if I had that kind of relationship and someone was giving me advice, I would probably say, yo dude, I talk to God face to face. If he wants me to do that, he can tell me himself. We talk all the time, (laughs) right? So the question is, why didn't God just tell him? He talks to him all the time. Why didn't God just download that information? Moses is doing it wrong, obviously, at the part of the scriptures. And what I want you to hear is that he didn't do it that way because that's just not how God works. Sometimes God speaks to us through his spirit. Sometimes God makes something perfectly clear to us as we sit in our quiet time or we're studying the word. He reveals something to us. But often God speaks to us through other people. That's why being in community is so important. That's why having mentoring relationships are so important. That's why being a mentor is so important because God speaks through the body at times. So God could have just spoken to Moses, but God wanted to speak through Jethro. So he speaks through Jethro and Moses hears what he's saying. We just need to recognize that this is how God works and this is why you have to be connected with people beyond Sunday morning. I wanna show you one more fascinating fact uh, that I think may upset some of you. Uh, so if you get upset, be upset with God, not upset with Doug, because I'm just telling you what the passage says. Uh, go to chapter two, uh, verse 17 or verse 16. Uh, it says in that passage, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. This word, the, is pretty important. Uh, most scholars would agree <clears throat> that he wasn't a priest, he was the high priest in Midian. And most likely, they worshiped Baal. Uh, If you know anything about the Old Testament, not a good person to worship. Baal, Asherah, those two, they kind of seem to be in the way of what God wants to do most of the time. This is the high priest, most likely, of Baal. And this is who becomes Moses' mentor for 40 years. What do we do with that? How do we reconcile that? And what I want you to hear is Moses didn't lose his way with God, but he was humble enough to know that God can teach me something through this man, that there's something God wants me to learn. And and I just want to to encourage you that, that you might be surprised who God's gonna bring in your life to teach you the next thing he wants you to learn, and that we ought to be careful not to reject somebody because they haven't accepted everything that we believe, at least not yet. I think the most effective mentor in my life Uh, was back in my business days. His name was Terry, and he met with me and a friend of mine named Dan uh, twice a month. And we would uh, go to the bar at noon. I know that's not a good thing. That's just where I was in those days. Uh, But Terry would ask me the best questions. And he would uh, explain things to me. I learned more from Terry about leadership and business and caring for people uh, than I did in all my years in business school. Terry was a mentor. He was the first person that ever even showed me what a mentor was like, someone who would journey with me, ask me good questions, give me advice when it was necessary, just a, a wonderful picture of somebody just coming into my life. But, but the other thing about Terry is, as I got to know him, I also realized how lost he was. And, I, and, I, and so it wasn't that he led me away from, in some ways, my seeing how lost he was led me back to Jesus. Because with all of what Terry had and all of his wealth and all of his smarts, he was missing the most important thing. So God was using Terry even ways that he wasn't saying to show me what I needed to learn. But Terry was a mentor in my life. Jethro, the high priest of Baal, is a mentor to Moses. But I want you to get the rest of the story because this is pretty stinking cool. So look at verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 10. Jethro shows up on the scene. Now what you have to realize is Moses and Jethro, they're friends, he's a mentor, he would have known this, but Moses goes up on a mountain, right? And he sees a a burning bush that talks to him. Like, just enter into the story for a minute, that's pretty weird, right? Not many of us are gonna be like, really, I believe you. It's a talking burning bush, all right? So Moses comes down and he says, I talked to a bush today, and it was burning, but it didn't burn up, and it was God. And God said, I'm supposed to go to Egypt, the most powerful army in the world, and I'm supposed to set 2.5 million slaves free, and all I have is my stick. Right, I mean, we just gotta get into the story, and after all, the judge would've been like, good luck. I'm gonna keep keep your wife and kids here, just in case you don't come back, because this seems like a high-risk adventure, right? But the point being, Jethro would have known what Moses was about to do. He would have heard, and he probably had some doubts, I would guess. He was like, okay, you're going to go whether I say go or not, but I'm going to let you go. Well, now he comes, and guess what? All that Moses said, that God said, has actually happened. And so Moses see it, so verse 10, he says, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and delivered the people from under the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Now I know that the Lord is greater than Baal. Because of these affairs, he's dealt arrogantly with the people. And listen to this, in Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought burnt offerings and sacrifice to God. He became a worshiper of Yahweh. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Jethro, Moses' mentor, takes in the refugee and loves on this this man who really had nothing to give him back. And Jethro's heroism is, is rooted in that ability to be a mentor, but in the end, He gets the greater reward. God shows him who he really is and he becomes a follower of Yahweh. To be a mentor is to be an unsung hero. So the question I want you to leave with today is who is God calling you to help reach their redemptive potential? Let's pray. Lord, I'm just grateful for Jethro. I'm grateful for this story this week and how it's just been a reminder to me to uh, have my eyes open for those that you want me to come alongside to help reach their redemptive potential. It's been a reminder to me of the need to have mentors in my own life, to live my life in the mentor sandwich where I have those ahead of me and those who I'm helping along the way. And may it be that way for all of us. May we just take this, this beautiful picture of Jethro and take it to heart and live uh, in that way. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, amen. Hey, we have a group of people that meet in the chapel before the service starts and pray for you, and uh, one of the things that they heard this morning is that uh, some of you Uh, are struggling just to feel the gentleness of God and to know that he loves you. I think that was very thematic and what John was getting a sense from the Lord as well. So if you're just struggling with that, if you just can't really uh, experience or know the God's love, I just wanna encourage you to come down and allow us to pray for you. Uh, We heard the word bitterness, somebody struggling with just feeling a sense of bitterness uh, and we'd love to pray for you as well. So if that's you, if you have any physical needs, uh, spiritual needs, emotional needs, we just encourage you to come down and meet with one of the prayer warriors down here and let him pray over you as well. You have a great weekend. God bless you. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough.